Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Let's get into the Word this morning. Um, If you're joining us for the first time, today we are going to conclude a series uh, that we've been in for the last three weeks entitled The Gifts. And uh, that might seem like an odd thing to do at a Christmas service, maybe unconventional or untraditional. uh, But I think as we go through the content today, we're going to see how the conversations we've had over the last three weeks have been perfectly teeing up for what we're going to discuss today. Uh, It's been like God planned this all along. Uh, For the last few weeks, we've been talking about the fact that we are called as Christians to discover and to steward the gifts that God has given to each of us. We've determined that everyone who's called upon the name of Jesus has a unique spiritual gift or a collection of spiritual gifts. And our job on planet Earth is to discover what those gifts are and then begin to use them for God's intended purposes. And his intended purpose is to build up the body, to build up the church of Jesus Christ, to expand the borders of the kingdom. That's what we're supposed to do with these gifts. My wife reminded us last week in an incredible sermon that uh, as we are discovering and stewarding these gifts, we are also supposed to remember the right motive in the midst of it. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that that motive to use our gifts is love. If we don't have love at the center, it doesn't matter how talented or how great we are or, or what we do or sing or any of that, It's useless apart from love. But when love is our motive, we find our purpose fulfilled. And today, as we finalize this conversation, I think we're going to see how this conversation of motive and stewardship and discovery plays perfectly into the Christmas story. Because at the end of the day, the greatest gift that we have been given from God is not a talent or an ability It is not divine enablement to do certain things well. It's not to get busy and work for the kingdom. As cliche and as predictable as it sounds, the greatest gift that every single one of us in this room has been given, in fact, every person on planet Earth has been given, is Jesus. It is the God-man wrapped up in human flesh who came to live among us and for 33 years lived a life that none of us could live. And at the end of those 33 years, gave up his life on our behalf so that we could be saved. That is the greatest gift that any of us could ever receive. And, and that gift is detailed in the scripture we read just a couple of moments ago. As my friend Dom stood up here and shared out of Isaiah 9, I'd like to come back to that scripture uh, for our time together in the word today because I think we're going to see how this plan of discovery and motive and stewardship is all played out here in this prophetic word about the coming Messiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, again, it reads like this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death Upon them a light has shined. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and his peace, there will be no end. Now, and the apostle Matthew, he again quotes Isaiah later in Matthew chapter one, verse 23, another prophetic word about the coming Messiah. He says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The greatest gift that God has ever given to us, the greatest gift that God could ever give to us was that. It was Emmanuel. It was God with us. It was himself. 
God gave himself as a gift to humanity. Now, I would not recommend that you give yourself to somebody else for Christmas, okay? Like, it's the opposite of the Mariah Carey song, all you want for Christmas is me. (laughs) No, it's not, not gonna work like that. Don't wrap yourself up and present yourself. But for the Father, the greatest gift he could have ever given to us was himself. There was nothing greater to give. And encapsulated in that gift is every one of these prophetic words from Isaiah. He didn't just give a baby. This was no ordinary human. He gave a wonderful counselor, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. He gave us what humanity so desperately needed. And you know what? His motive was the same as we discussed last week. His motive wasn't because he wanted to take pity on us or because he felt sorry for us. His motive was always love. For God so loved the world that he gave us the gift of his son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but they would have eternal life. And yet, despite the right motive, many have yet to discover that gift. Like the gifts we've been discussing over the last few weeks, this gift of salvation through Jesus is still largely undiscovered by many people on this planet. And even among those who have discovered him, have opened the gift, Still many are not stewarding this gift of salvation as we should. We're not using it appropriately. And so for the remainder of our time together, what I'd like to do today is I'd like to discuss why that might be. What keeps people from seeing Jesus for who he truly is? And what keeps us from responding correctly to this gift of salvation that was given to us a couple thousand years ago? So as we do that, I'm going to pray, and if you're the note-taking type, I'm going to call this chat the greatest gift, as simple as that sounds, the greatest gift. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you, Jesus, for coming to live, to dwell among us a couple thousand years ago. We thank you that you loved us enough to put on flesh the very thing that you created, you became, and you walked among us. You lived the life that none of us could live. You died the death that all of us deserved, all so that we could be in relationship with you. And I pray that today as we go to your word that you would not reveal deep revelation, you would not reveal some speaker's thoughts, but Jesus, you would reveal yourself to this room, that we would see you through it all. We love you and pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Um, When you are a child, your philosophy regarding gifts is pretty similar. Bigger is always better, right? The, the larger the gifts, the more gifts you get, the better things are for you. That's, that's the childlike philosophy. I don't know about you, but I can remember being a kid, and in the weeks leading up to Christmas, I would do the survey of all the presents surrounding the tree. I would keep a mental tally of how many of those had my name on it versus how many had my sister's names on it. I would look to ensure that the largest package under the tree was mine and and not theirs. Because as a child, the metric for your parents' love is mass and quantity. If the gifts are larger and if they are more, then your parents love you the most among your siblings. God forbid, if you have siblings, God forbid, they ended up with the larger packages or more gifts than you. No child should have to endure that kind of injustice on Christmas morning, okay? Unacceptable. Child abuse call CPA, all right? That, that's how we should do these things. But <laughs> I appreciate that. But the older you get, I think the more you realize that mass and quantity are not necessarily the best metrics for the value of a gift. Sometimes 
The most valuable gifts are in small or very unassuming packages, different kinds of wrapping. For example, uh, if you are a young lady here this morning and you've been dating a man for a period of time and you are waiting and waiting and waiting for him to ask that question, chances are you're not going to be elated if you walk into the living room this weekend and you see a giant box under the tree. You're not looking for a big box under the tree. You're looking for your man on one knee asking you that question. Will you spend the rest of your life with me? No pressure, dude. There's some people that are really preaching this section on. So if you're sitting next to your girl and she's amening right now, I'm just, I'm here to help. Okay. I'm offering some suggestions. Uh, If you are 16 years old and you have just gotten your driver's license, chances are you're not going to be pumped if you walk out Christmas morning and there's a bicycle under the tree or a scooter or a skateboard. It's not what you're interested in. You want a smaller package that hopefully contains some keys that lead to a giant red bow parked in the driveway. And the older you get, the less likely you are to dismiss the Christmas card-sized envelope because you know that inside that envelope might be the greatest gift, and that's cash. (laughs) Nothing says I love you like cash. Unless, of course, you're the guy dating that girl, in which case, I don't think you should offer her cash for Christmas, okay? (laughs) Unless you wanna do like a little origami ring and slide the $100 bill onto her finger, but don't give her cash, that doesn't say I love you. There comes a point in life where you realize that the packaging can be deceiving. You can't judge the gift by what it looks like on the outside. There might be some value behind something that seems insignificant. Uh, In my family, for example, one of the great gifts we get every single year is this. And uh, I know what you're thinking. This just looks like a ball of saran wrap. And you are correct. It is a ball of saran wrap. But behind the layers of the saran wrap are some very valuable gifts. Uh, Years ago, my parents decided that uh, it was probably time to stop doing stocking stuffers and gifts for their children and our spouses, which was probably overdue. We were like in our mid and late 30s, and so it's probably time to stop giving us Christmas presents. Uh, And instead, they replaced it with this. And uh, they take a ball, and they begin to wrap it with saran wrap. And then in between the layers of saran wrap, they place $25 gift cards to places that we like, or cash, or lottery tickets. Don't judge. I don't need that. Some valuable stuff in between the layers of that plastic. And once they are finished wrapping it all up, on Christmas morning, they set the ball down in the middle of my siblings and our spouses, and uh, we all get some some dice in our hand. Apparently, we like gambling in my family. Uh, (laughs) We roll the dice. I don't know what that is. That's how I roll, apparently. We (laughs) We roll the dice. And when you get doubles... You can begin to unravel the ball and all the prizes are flying everywhere and whatever you get during your turn, you get to keep. But the second, the next sibling rolls doubles, they get to steal the ball uh, from you and then they begin to start unraveling it and they get to keep those presents. It's, it's all kinds of fun. And I would love to report to you uh, that Robin and I are um, dignified and um, pastoral and poised during this game. Uh, but that would be a lie from the pit of hell. We lose our salvation, elbows fly, people bleed at the Biddle House on Christmas morning. Nothing says Merry Christmas like a little bit of blood. It's red after all, amen, yes. <laughs> and we do it all in the name of our Lord and Savior, baby Jesus, yes, okay. Now, if you came to my house on Christmas morning and I handed you this ball and you did not know 
that behind the layers of plastic were items of value, chances are you would not celebrate the gift. Chances are you'd look at me and go, thank you for the ball of trash. I really appreciate the invitation. I'm never going to the pastor's house again on Christmas. <laughs> but to a biddle, this is an item of incredible value because we understand that the value lies beyond its exterior. The true value is beyond the wrapping. And I think that often when it comes to Jesus, many people miss the gift because they can't see past the wrapping. They can't see past the deceiving exterior. The packaging can be confusing. Let me explain what I mean. Um, back to our key text in Isaiah chapter nine. As Isaiah begins to prophesy about the coming Messiah, he offers up some incredible descriptors about Jesus. He, he begins to talk about what this savior would be. And he uses these incredible phrases we've uttered a few times today. He will be called wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. These grandiose statements about the Messiah. But then he makes this one statement that proved to be a stumbling block, some wrapping that got deceiving to the people who were waiting for a coming Messiah. He says, the government will rest upon his shoulders and of his government, there will be no end. Now, now that statement was made 700 years before Jesus ever showed up on the planet. And during that 700 years, while the people were awaiting their Messiah, they had a whole lot of reason to hope for one who would come to establish a new government. Because shortly after Isaiah made this prophecy, the city of Jerusalem would be invaded by the Babylonians and they would decimate the city and they would carry the Jewish people off into captivity where they were forced to be slaves for decades. Finally, after that season ended and they were able to rebuild their city and come back home, getting established again in 31 AD, the Romans would rise to world power and they would once again conquer the city of Jerusalem. They would subject the Jewish people to overtaxation and oppression. In many ways, they became slaves once again. If you look at the story of God's people time and time again, they go from slavery to freedom, slavery to freedom, slavery to freedom. And, and God's people have always longed for this Messiah who would come and establish a new government. Lingering in their hearts during this 700 year period was this promise that Isaiah made that one will come and the government will rest on his shoulders and there will be a peace that knows no end. But the problem was these people had a, an incorrect picture, a distorted image of what that Messiah would look like. In their mind, the Messiah would be a political figure. He would be a politician that, rise, that would rise to power and he would come with all the pomp and circumstance you would expect of a politician. Nice white teeth, great suit, an entourage, news media following him everywhere. He, he would show up on the scene and by his strength and by the power of his army, he would overthrow the Roman government once and for all, subject them to the same slavery that they had pushed the Jewish people to and he would establish a new government, a Jewish-friendly government where the Jewish people would once again rule and reign as they should. For them, their Messiah was a politician. Not much has changed. <laughs> so, 
you can imagine their disappointment when the person they thought, the image they had, wasn't met. You can imagine their disappointment when the Messiah shows up as a baby, wrapped up in swaddling cloth, in a rented manger, in the backwoods of Bethlehem, in a stable, hailing from some no-name city called Nazareth. His parents were not rich and powerful. He didn't come from some, some established group of people that were already sitting in political power. He had a confused mom and her fiance trying to figure out if she, he should leave her because he wasn't sure if she cheated on him before they got married. What do you mean a virgin pregnant? What? You could say there was a bit of a packaging problem with the Messiah. Things did not look as they thought they should. Their Messiah did not arrive wrapped up the way that they thought he should be presented. A baby in a manger in Bethlehem? Sounds more like a, like a home birth gone wrong. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a Messiah. <laughs> Actually, it sounds like a home birth gone right. That's exactly how my home birth worked. There were animals in a stable. I know that's the image that some people have in their minds when they think of home birth. <laughs> baby in a manger. This was not at all what they expected. And perhaps that's why so many people rejected him. Perhaps that's why so many people still reject him because they can't see past the wrapping. It doesn't look the way we thought it should look. Maybe that's why the same prophet Isaiah writes later in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. Perhaps the reason we reject him is because the God, the gift we got, didn't show up the way we thought it should. He looked a little different than we anticipated. It's a wrapping problem. But to quote Almighty, a.k.a. Morgan Freeman from the prophetic picture, Evan Almighty. When you pray and ask God for patience, does he give you patience or does he give you opportunities to be patient? When you pray and ask God for courage, does he zap you with courage or does he give you opportunities to act courageously? Sometimes the packaging can be deceiving. Things don't look the way we thought they should, but that doesn't mean that God's not in the middle of it. Listen, do not miss the miracle. Do not miss the gift on account of the wrapping. It may not look the way you thought it should. It may not look the way that you thought the Messiah would show up in your life, but that does not mean that God is absent in the midst of your situation. It may just look a little different than you expected. Listen, Isaiah 9 is still a promise to every person in this room. He is still the same Jesus that will show up in your life and offer every single one of those descriptions that Isaiah gave him. They might just look a little bit different than you thought. That peace might come wrapped up in some suffering. That light might come wrapped up in a season of darkness. 
That mighty God might come wrapped up in your human frailty. The father might come wrapped up in your fatherlessness. And that government that is on his shoulders, it might come wrapped up in an increasing dissonance with the existing political platforms that we have put our trust and hope in only to find that politicians were never the ones to bring healing to human society. Only Jesus can bring what we're hoping for. It might just look a little different than you thought. Just because it doesn't look like God does not mean that it isn't God. It might just be wrapped up in some paper that looks deceiving. But let me just say on my behalf, I can't speak for anybody else, but I am grateful that I went through some pain and some suffering and some darkness and some sickness and some trial and some trauma because in the midst of all that, I got to find the true gift. I got to find Emmanuel, the God that would walk with me through every situation on this planet. And you will never find him if you get deceived by the wrapping. You gotta see beyond the paper. So, so let me ask you a question. Uh, if you're joining us today for the first time, um, I like to do this thing when I preach where at some point in the sermon, I ask a really confronting and uncomfortable question to everybody in the room. And I personalize everything we're talking about so we don't just get to clap and go, yay! But we have to do some personal inventory. And we have arrived at that point in the sermon. So here is your question. What wrapping are you rejecting? What situation are you looking at right now in your life? What trial or trauma are you enduring right now? That, that, that you, upon surveying, have concluded is evidence that God is not with you when in fact it might just be the way that Emmanuel's wrapped up. What wrapping are you rejecting? Let, let me offer one that I did not mention in my rant a moment ago, but one that might be personal to some here in the room. It was definitely one that was felt among the Jewish people during their 700 year period, period of waiting. But how about this? Your promise might be wrapped up in some waiting. Say it like this. What, what, you have, what you have assumed is a no from God might just be a not right now from God. Your, your yes might be wrapped up in the deceptive paper of delay. Now, Robin and I, we've, we've shared uh, this story from stage before, but I'll share it again. Um, when we were first deciding to have children, uh, it was difficult for the two of us to get pregnant. Uh, I love how guys say that. It was difficult for us to get pregnant. It's still difficult for me to get pregnant because I'm a guy, but we were having a hard time conceiving a child. And about five years into marriage, uh, we had decided it was time to have a family, to pop out a couple of niños. And uh, it turned out that the Lord was not as ready for us to have a family as we were. And so we were trying and trying and trying and we dealt with the crushing blow that is familiar to some in the room uh, of negative pregnancy test after negative pregnancy test after negative pregnancy test after negative pregnancy test for almost two years. And let me just say, if you are walking through that season right now, uh, I know it's one thing to say, hey, I know how you feel, but let me offer a bit of advice from the other side of this. Don't stop praying, don't stop believing. It is Jesus who opens up the womb and him alone and keep contending, keep knocking, keep asking because he's faithful. 
But, but I remember one, um, one day specifically, my wife called me and she asked me to come home early from work and she was a, in a bit of a, a frenzy and I walked through the front door and she just collapsed into my arms sobbing because she had just discovered that our closest friends at the time uh, found out that they were pregnant, but they were not interested in having kids. They weren't trying. It was just kind of a, oh, oops situation. And meanwhile, we're over here a year and a half into our journey trying to get pregnant. And for whatever reason, God didn't seem interested in answering our prayer for a baby. So we dealt with the heartache and the trauma, all of that. And I remember consoling her and then shortly after going into my office and having one of those shouting conversations with God where you're just kind of yelling at heaven for a couple of moments. Hey, just a bit of advice. It's okay to yell at heaven sometimes. Okay, it's, it's okay to get emotional sometimes when you're praying and God understands what you're walking through. He's not afraid or scared. If you start yelling and screaming at heaven a little bit, uh, read through the Psalms. David did a whole lot of it, okay? You can shout at heaven and God will not be offended in the midst of your prayer. That's okay. You might even be able to cuss a little bit. I don't know, just whatever it takes. I don't, but you know, you do what you do. So I open up my Bible and I'm... I'm, I'm Praying out Psalm 127, and Psalm 127 says this. It says, children are a gift from the Lord, and blessed is the one whose quiver is full of them. Now, that's a cool promise if you have kids, but it's salt in the wound if you haven't been able to get pregnant. And I'm looking at the ceiling, and I'm screaming at God. I'm like, why will you not answer our prayers? What, what is it about us that, that makes you want to not bless us or withhold this gift We've done everything you've asked of us. We've been obedient. We've searched our hearts. We've tried to make sure that, that we're worthy candidates of a child. Why will you not give us an answer to this prayer? Because in my mind, I had assumed that God had given us a no, when in fact it was just a not now. Because about that same time, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, Robin and I had been asked by our pastor to step into a full-time ministry role as youth pastors at our church. And we were already reticent to do so because we were running a business at the time and it was uh, time-consuming and we didn't see how we could balance ministry and business at the, at the same time. And so we, we were kind of shying away from that opportunity and we were almost reluctant when we finally said yes to the opportunity after praying and fasting and hearing from God. And God knew that if he had given us an answer to our prayer in the timeline that we thought he should have given us the answer, that a new baby and a bustling business were going to be enough of an excuse to say no to his call. And so in his grace and in his sovereignty, he waited to answer that prayer until we were aligned in the right timing for the answer. But you know what happened just weeks after we said yes to that opportunity? We had a baby. We conceived a child. She's 11 years old now. Everything's great. And I distinctly remember my wife telling me a few months after we found out we were having a child, she said, as I was praying, the Holy Spirit made it very clear to me. Here's what he said. He said, because you were willing to take responsibility for my children, now I will take responsibility for yours. It was always a yes. That yes was just wrapped up in delay. So again, I ask, what wrapping might you be rejecting? Because what might look like trauma or delay or pain or diagnosis, it might just be the exterior that's leading you to a baby in a manger in the backwoods of Bethlehem that's really God with you. 
It's not evidence of his absence. It's evidence of his presence. Do not forsake the wrapping. But be warned, if you do open this present, if you open up the gift of salvation that's been made available to us, I need to issue a warning to you up front. There are some conditions attached. There are some strings attached. Anyone ever gotten one of those gifts before where as you're opening up, your parents or someone's telling you, hey, just want you to know there's some conditions with this gift, okay? Anyone ever had one of those before? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe it was the car that you got and your parents said, hey, I'll give you the vehicle, but you have to run all the errands for me and you have to take all of your siblings to school and to all of their practices, like those are the conditions. Or maybe it was the video game console and they said, hey, you can have this, but just so you know, you're only allowed to play it on the weekends because we all know you have an addictive personality and there's no way you're going to get your homework done if I let you play that thing during the week. So there's some conditions with this gift. Yeah, now all the parents are nodding their heads. Uh, about a year, year and a half ago, my oldest daughter was asking us for an Apple Watch. And we didn't quite understand why she needed an Apple Watch, but she kept asking us for one. So finally we caved and uh, we gave her an Apple Watch. Uh, and uh, there were some conditions with that watch. We said, hey, listen, we'll give this to you, but uh, it's only because we want to track you. I'm just kidding. No, it's only because, <laughs> that's the real reason, right? Uh, only because we want to get a hold of you. And there are only six people that you are allowed to call or text from this Apple Watch. Me, your mom, your grandparents, and your other grandparents. That's it. You will not be texting with friends. You will not be calling any of your friends. The watch goes and it charges outside of your bedroom so that you're not playing on it at nighttime. We had a whole lot of conditions attached to that watch. Now, my daughter is 11 going on 28, and she is asking us for an iPhone constantly because all of the other irresponsible parents of the children in her fifth grade classroom have given their kids iPhones. I'm like, listen, I don't care if they don't know how to parent their kids. I do, and you are not getting an iPhone right now. But rest assured, <laughs> when she does get an iPhone, there will be some conditions with that phone. Paramount of which is that there are only three boys she's allowed to talk to on that phone. Me and both of her grandfathers. Nobody else gets that phone number. Nobody else is texting. As God is my witness, if I find any other boy's name and phone number on that phone, that phone comes to me. In fact, I'm going to go take his phone. I don't care if I'm not his parent. I will steal that boy's phone and he will never text a girl again. Those are the rules. Conditions. Secondly, she ain't going to get on Instagram, okay? Especially as a teenager. And if she does, here's what she needs to understand. Every photo she posts is subject to this screen right here. So be careful what you post, baby girl, all right? In fact, I offer that up to every parent in this room. If you want to tell your kids, hey, whatever you post, Pastor Tim is going to put on the screen at church, that's my Christmas gift to you. You are welcome. I will help you parent your children. Okay. <laughs> Conditions. Conditions with the gift. And the same is true with, with Jesus, this greatest gift of salvation that God has given to us. There are some strings attached. There are some conditions. Uh, this word, gifts, we've looked at it for the last couple of weeks. In the Greek, it's the word charisma, and, and it means um, divine enablement to do certain things well. It is the God-given ability for the God-given task. We've talked about the fact that uh, things that might come natural to you, your acumen, your ability, uh, they may not be as natural as you realize. They are likely a God-given gift that he gave to you for the purpose of using to build up his body, build up the church. And that's why you've been uniquely wired to do what you do. But the root of this word, charisma, is charis. And in the Greek, the definition of that word reads like this. 
a gift of grace, the merciful kindness of God. Gift of grace, the merciful kindness of God. In other words, the word grace and the word gift in the Greek are exactly the same. They are synonymous with one another. His grace is a gift, and the gift is his grace. They are one in the same. It is a free gift that has been given to you. If you've never heard about grace before, let me tell you a little bit, a little bit about grace. Grace is forgiveness for your failures. Grace is mercy for your mistakes. Grace beckons, though your sins are like scarlet, I will make you white as snow. And even where your sin abounds, his caress, his grace abounds all the more. Grace is the gift that every single one of us needed, but none of us ever deserved. And it is grace that Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, that we have been saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift. It is a charis from God. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it, but freely he gave his grace to each of us. It's grace that saves us. That's grace. This isn't a naughty or nice situation. Hey, if you're new to church and you're trying to figure out how to get your way to Jesus, let me just say, you do not have to make your way to Jesus. He already made his way to you. There is no amount of good deeds you can do to earn his grace. Even on your worst day, the Bible says that his grace is sufficient for you. That's grace. But, but grace, while freely given, is incredibly costly to receive. So much more than an iPhone or an Apple Watch or a gaming station or a car. No, there's some, some pretty big strings attached to grace. Because grace will cost you everything. Accepting this gift of grace through Jesus, it will cost you the totality of your life. All of it laid down at the feet of Jesus. After um, baby Jesus became adult Jesus, he was uh, given a sermon one day, the hills of Galilee. And as uh, he calls to this crowd, he makes an invitation for those that are interested in receiving his gift of salvation. And as he gets to the altar call moment of his sermon, he calls the band forward. And uh, the keys player gets up there and they start playing. They got the whale sounds going. And then Jesus makes this invitation. And it is not, it is not kind and proper. It's not the message translation of the Bible. He doesn't like get into that deep jazz voice like, hey, if you'd like to come unto me. One, go ahead and lift your hands. Two, you know. He makes the most aggressive altar call I've ever heard. Here's how Jesus appeals to this massive crowd he's inviting to receive his grace. He says, hey, if anyone wants to be my follower, you got to take up your cross daily and then you can follow me. If you try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to lay your life down for my sake, then you will truly find it. For what value is it if a man gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? Who wants it? Guys, that does not sound like an unconditional offer of grace. Maybe you've heard it called unconditional grace. No, it is not unconditional. 
It is unconditioned. Irrespective of your condition, it was offered to you just as it was offered to everybody on the hills of Galilee that day. But there are some conditions. What does he say? Hey, you got to lay your life down. That sounds like a costly invitation to me. Everything, if you want me. But for those of us who have embraced that cost, for those of us who have crossed over that line and said, you know what? I will lay my life down for the sake of the king. For those who have seen beyond the wrapping, let me tell you, we would do it again and again and again and again and again. Because on the other side of embracing that cost, we discovered what our souls truly needed. We discovered Emmanuel, the God that would walk with us through every situation. We discovered a wonderful counselor, an almighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. We got joy for our mourning. We got gladness for our despair. We got freedom for our addictions. We got healing for our sicknesses. We got provision for our needs. We got everything we needed on the other side of that. We got Jesus. We received him and we would do it again and again and again and again. And today, as we conclude our, our service and I invite the band to come and play the whale song. I want to make a similar invitation to those of us in this room that might say, hey, I, I need that kind of savior in my life. I need this Jesus. I want to ask you if you're interested in laying down the entirety of your life to follow him. Because I would be willing to bet that there are probably some people here that need a mighty God in their situation. That need an everlasting father to fill a void that one has left. That need a king that reigns above whatever you're facing right now. That, that need a prince of peace whose governing is not predicated on a political party or the next variant of a virus or whatever it is that is gonna happen in the coming weeks, but one that is steadfast through every single storm in your life. I know that there's some people here that need that. And listen to me, you will not find that gift under a tree or stuffed into a stocking. You will not find that in any of the temporary pleasures of this life. You will not find that on the shelf of a store in Union Square. There's only one place where that exists. It's a baby wrapped up in a manger in a stable in Bethlehem. And he is God that came to be with you. And he's ready. He's ready to be opened if you're ready to receive him today. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes and Let's honor the Holy Spirit in these final moments together. Holy Spirit, right now, we, we, we thank you for your presence. Jesus, would you reveal yourself to those in this room that need the mighty God, that need the everlasting Father? Would you speak to hearts right now? Would this not be a man on a microphone or a religious service? Let this be a an eternal moment, a holy moment between those that you're calling unto yourself and you. And if you're here this morning and you say, hey, Tim, I, I am one of those. I, I need this God in my life. I've been at a distance from him or 
Maybe at one time I walked with him, but I've walked away and I know that I need to get things right with him before I leave today. I wanna pray a very simple prayer with you before we conclude. But before I pray that prayer, no one's looking around between you and, and Jesus, but I wanna know who I'm praying with so that I can continue to pray with you this week. If you need to get things right with Jesus today before you leave, would you quickly slip up your hand and look at me so that I can pray with you? Thank you, got you right there, bro. Yeah, I got you right there, right over there, ma'am. Yeah, right here, both of you guys, awesome. Yeah, right there, awesome. Yeah, right around, bro. Hallelujah. And listen, if you don't wanna raise your hand, that's cool. The hand in the air is not as important as the condition of your heart. I'm gonna pray this and you can just simply repeat after me in your heart. Say, Jesus, thank you for coming to this planet to be with me, for giving your life so that I could be forgiven of my failures and so that I could walk in freedom. Today, I give you my life, all of it. I lay it at your feet and I decide to follow you. I believe that you are who you say you are, that you resurrected on the third day and I choose to follow you from this day forward. Help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways from this moment on until the day I see you in heaven. You look me in the eye, you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. As I give you all of me, I thank you that today I receive all of you in return. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Come on, can we just give a shout of praise for every single one of those making that decision today? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.